Good morning. We're in a series, God With Us, um, which God With Us is this phrase that comes from the name Emmanuel, which means God With Us. And I love that phrase because <clears throat> it just has so much in it, um, the weight of God being with us. And we're going to talk today about God with us as comforter through the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 9. You can listen, and every time we read, uh, just quickly tune your mind to the reality that we're reading God's Word. So a common passage in this time of year. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, I ask um, right now that you just do the things that only you can do, uh, that in very ordinary things, very mundane words, that you would work with your power, that you would bring your weight upon us, and you'd bring it upon us in ways that bring about comfort and consolation as well as conviction. God, you love well. And we pray that you would love in all of your honesty and God also in all of your compassion. So I pray and I ask you now for your Holy Spirit, the one who is able to make the work of God actual in our lives and in our church and in our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So how many of you are familiar with weighted blankets? So weighted blankets, as the kids would say, are all the rage right now. And it's not brand new, um, but they've come about. There's very famous people talking about them and regular, very regular people like you talking about them, right? So if you go, well, what's a weighted blanket? I'm not as familiar. <clears throat> it's amazing. They're actually blankets that are weighted. <laughs> now, the question would be, well, why? What's the, the point and what's the purpose of weighted blankets? Um, well, weighted blankets, when you actually study them, I was reading an article on NBC about weighted blankets, and it was very interesting because it was bringing the science into it, and there were like doctors that weren't just medical doctors, but people who were like scientifically studying these things, and then actual doctors. And this was the statement about them. It's the theory <clears throat> is that deep pressure that you feel from being under all that weight has a calming and a comforting effect. So the science behind it, there's a theory that's now actually being proven. So when people are getting deep levels of oral surgery, there are many of these offices and dentists and doctors and oral surgeons who will actually use a weighted blanket, not just the x-ray blanket that feels heavy, but a weighted blanket and they'll put it on people. And then they're studying the calming in their breath the reality of where anxiety and nerves come about in the brain, and it calms under, as the article said, all of that great weight. One of the experts in the article actually said that a weighted blanket feels like you're being hugged or being swaddled. Now, I don't know if you know this, but neuroscience, brain science, is like a big deal right now. And as they study it, there are these people saying that the power of touch and the power of stronger, firmer, intense touch really does have powerful effects. And weight always does. 
If you were to run into something that's weightier than you, you drop, right? Like if you walk, run into a concrete wall. But then the weight of a weighted blanket has a calming effect and a stabilizing effect. So one of the things that it does actually is if you're a tosser and a turner, one who thinks a lot, it actually, the weight of it stabilizes you. Weight has a lot of powerful powerful effects and this passage that we just read speaks about weight for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders there's one thing I've always said I used to say funny enough that some of the jobs I'd never want and I'd look at Tom Schrader who's the founding pastor here and I'm like I would not want that job um, I now have some form of that job and then I'd be like the president of the United States or the president of a major company. Like, that's heavy. So how heavy does this child have to be who can hold the government on his shoulders? When this passage is recited in the Gospels, the government is the Roman Empire. And this prophecy in Isaiah that's speaking in advance is saying this child that's born, this son that's given, is so weighty in and of himself that the government shall be upon his shoulders. And yet his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now as you carry on, because we have the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, who is this child that's born and this son that's given? Who is it? Jesus. Now this is interesting because <clears throat> Jesus is given the name Everlasting Father. But if you've been around Christianity much or even if you've studied it at all in even a university class, they'll tell you that Christians believe in the Trinity. And in the Trinity, which we'll look at here in a minute, Jesus is not the Father, and yet he's given the name the Everlasting Father. Well, last week in this series, God with us as Father, Tim made an incredible point to say Jesus coming to earth as a human being, born as a baby, was coming to reveal the heart of God, which is the heart of the Father. Jesus' statements to some of his confused disciples that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, is incredibly powerful reality that Jesus can be called everlasting Father, mighty God, and Prince of Peace. Now before we take another look at one of these names, this idea of being a Prince of Peace and a wonderful counselor are amazing names primarily because they're incredibly relevant. They're unbelievably functional. They have to do with our real world. We want counsel. We seek peace. In the midst of the chaos of your own heart, many of you may leverage a weighted blanket or many other things to seek peace, but this provides you some stability which allows you to be more comfortable, comfortable and allows you to be consoled at a level. But here, it's so relevant to say the weight of God, the one who is so weighty that he can hold the government on his shoulders is a wonderful counselor and a prince of peace. This idea of being a counselor is obvious that we want it because probably no time, not probably, no time in history has as much money been spent on counseling as we're spending today 
as a country and as a people, and it's a good thing. I mean, there's, there's hotlines that if you get really dark that you're contemplating the reality that being dead might be better than being alive, there's people saying, call these hotlines, and a counselor will counsel you through the darkness. Right? There's now apps. There's one called Talkspace that you can be counseled through text messaging and people just counseling you. And then we pay lots of money to be with counselors and counseling centers that just even surround us right now where we sit geographically at this point. We're after counsel and some of it's really good, but there is one who is strong enough, powerful, good enough to be called the wonderful counselor because he's mighty God and revealing the everlasting nature of the fatherhood of God, and he's the Prince of Peace. Now, it was interesting that Jesus would be called Everlasting Father, but it's also interesting that he's called Wonderful Counselor because in the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus begins to speak about one, specifically who will counsel us in ways that are very powerful. In fact, in John 16, this is John 14, keep it up there, but I'm gonna read to you John 16. In John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking in John chapter 16 and he speaks about one in such a way that he says, it's better for you that I go. Now think about this for a minute. If Jesus is the one who is the everlasting father, the mighty God, Right? the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace, we'd all say, don't go, right? Stay here, don't leave. But in John chapter 16, he says this, nevertheless, I tell you to the, the truth, it is to your advantage that I go, that I leave. And soon he's gonna be crucified, a criminal's death on a cross, raised from the dead. Then he appears to the masses. And then he says, it's better for you that I go. And in his ascension, something happens. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So who's the helper? Jesus in John 14, we have somebody out here that already knows the answer, which is great. But here in John 14, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now stop for a minute. <clears throat> God, the weight of God, the one who holds the government on his shoulders, God, that's also wonderful counselor and prince of peace, is called the helper. Now, in many translations, this word gets translated in different ways, and understandably so. This word is this idea of the paraclete, the helper, which comes out in multiple different words, all of because he functions in these. He's called the helper or the advocate. Now, let me ask you for a minute. Do you have moments in your life, in fact, all of your life, where you want somebody to advocate for you? To be your standby, to sit right beside you and to speak on your behalf. And even in ways that aren't just the way you want him to be on your behalf, but in what you really need, not just what you think you need. I have this moment with my kids all the time where they'll be like, I need, and I'll say, you don't need that. You want that. In moments like that, as a parent, turn on you, right? Because now you're like, hey, listen, I need to go run an errand. They're like, you don't need to, Dad. You want to, right? Because I'll always say, you don't 
need it. What you need is Jesus. You want this. And they'll be like, la, la, right? But this notion of you want an advocate, the Proverbs call it a friend, who are even willing to be faithful are the wounds of a friend, of a real advocate, right, is what the Proverbs say. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You want that kind of advocate. But an advocate who will stand by you but also can actually help, like has the power, the weight to actually help you. The Holy Spirit is called an advocate and a helper. He's called a comforter. One who brings comfort in the midst of chaos. One who in a world of lies and things that are called fake all the time is the truth. One who in the midst of darkness is the way. One who in a land of death is life. That's what Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. But the Holy Spirit is spoken of like this. He's a comforter in a land of darkness. He's an intercessor, the Bible tells us. The word intercession means he's a prayer, one who prays. There's this amazing moment where Paul's speaking in the, the book of Romans and he talks about that the Spirit of God will intercede on our behalf, will pray on our behalf in groanings that are too deep for words. You ever have these moments where you're around church and they tell you to pray, or you're even at home and you're like, I really should pray right now, things are really hard, but everything within you is like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to articulate. You say something kind of simple and then you begin to feel guilty that you haven't said enough, but I feel like I should ultimately say more the Bible says this advocate of the Holy Spirit who is a prayer, who is an intercessor, comes alongside as a standby and prays on our behalf with groanings, Paul says, that are too deep for words. Have you experienced that kind of darkness? Like where what's going on deep in your gut and around you is so deep and rumbling that you're like, this is too deep to even articulate. Do you know actually in the Bible that you're not the only person who does that, that everybody else does? In fact, Paul says that creation, all of creation groans with eager anticipation of redemption and help in the moment when God, who is the weighty one that can actually do it, actually does something. Think about that. The creation's groaning along with you. You're a part of creation. And when you are groaning in ways that are too deep for words, you're like, I know I need help. I know I need comfort. I know I need direction. Whatever it is that you lay in, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and prays. He's an intercessor. He's a counselor. We've talked about how obviously so many of us need counseling. He brings counsel and it's wise counsel. He's a strengthener. Other people in here who feel weak? I do, right? These moments of where you don't sleep great, you feel weak, you feel weak to know what's right. You feel weak in your intelligence. You feel weak in your body. You feel weak in your emotions. He's a strengthener, and he's willing to stand beside us. That's all built up in the word helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, this is very significant because the Spirit is a teacher. You imagine, again, these disciples sitting there when Jesus is saying he's going to leave, going, but you've taught us significant things, and I'm not sure they've sunk in deep enough. We need you still around to teach us. And he says, oh, it's actually better for you that I go 
because there'll be one who goes everywhere and speaks to you, a helper who will help and bring comfort, but he'll also teach. So at this moment, I pray that the Spirit of God would move in because I'm about to teach you because this is where these things get really interesting because Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit in ways that Isaiah and so much of the New Testament speaks about Jesus. Just like that passage in Isaiah called Jesus the name Everlasting Father, but he's not God the Father. Here it calls him by all the terminology, or Isaiah calls Jesus by all the terminology that the New Testament begins to attribute to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to stop for a minute and be honest. There are some people in this room that are like, finally, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? You guys can hoot and holler and scream if you want to. I give you full permission. Thank God we're talking about the Holy Spirit. There are other of you who are in this room right now, and you're like, the Holy Spirit. You're like, that's like... When I first heard about the Holy Spirit, he was called the Holy Ghost, and I just don't like ghosts, right? This freaks me out. Why, why are we talking about the Holy Spirit? It seems kind of odd. So I want to teach you for a minute why this happens, why Jesus is named the Everlasting Father, and why the Holy Spirit is giving attributed work like wonderful counselor in Prince of Peace that was attributed to Jesus. So for a minute, I need to identify with you the nature of God first which is the Trinity. So if you study this and you understand the Trinity, let me start by saying this. It's very important to understand the Trinity. And I'll start by saying this. The reason it's important to understand the Trinity, it's because it is the nature of God. The way theologians would talk about that is his ontology. And I don't say that to try to sound smart. It's just you can learn a new word, which means the very nature of God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a theologian I like a lot named John Frame, and he and many others have developed an image like this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, here's the baseline reality of the Trinity, is that all of them are God. That's why God sits in the center. God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But... The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not the Son. The Holy Spirit's not the Father, and the Father's not the Holy Spirit. Now, had I just said that, you'd be like, you don't even know what you're talking about, right? Like, what does that mean? But this is a two-dimensional picture of the reality of the nature of God. He is triune. Now, this is important for many ways, but not less than this. The thing that delineates historic Christianity, which is what the Bible teaches, they call it Orthodox Christianity, from things like Mormonism, from Jehovah's Witnesses, from Islam, and from Judaism, is this reality. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But they aren't each other. They are distinct persons, but they operate in synergy would be a big word. Together, they're working. So this is the word functional. There is, when Jesus leaves the earth, a functional fusion of work with the Holy Spirit, not a fusion of identity. They aren't the same person, but they carry out the work. Like Jesus was coming to reveal the Father, 
Jesus was coming to reveal the Father. When Jesus leaves, the Spirit carries on his work, which is what happens at the beginning of the book of Acts is that Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, makes a statement of, I'm going to now tell you all that Jesus continued to do through the acts of these apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the word functional is really important. That's the way it really works. If you go to downtown Gilbert, right now there's a gym that's right in the midst of downtown Gilbert called functional fitness. And functional fitness is actually saying we want to work with the way your body actually functions. We want you to do moves that help you move, that actually orient the way things really work. So there is a way in which God really works in the midst of the real world, and it's the Trinity working together. But the Spirit, when Jesus left the earth in his ascension, began to work and to work in power, putting into practice all of these things that we've said. He's an advocate, comforter, helper, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, and he's a revealer. So think about weight for a minute. We talked about weight, and there's moments where the weight of my hands as a human takes something that's not as weighty, like an orange, and if I put pressure on them, weight upon them, boom, it exposes what's inside. So one of the works of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 is he says specifically, it's better for you that I go. Think about this. He's talking about it's better for you that I go. And when I go, I'll send him to you. But when he comes, this is the better. This is part of the better. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the rule of the earth is judged. There's this weight of God that is the Holy Spirit that when he comes, he reveals boom, what's inside you? And you're like, whoa, wow, that's not pretty. Like, what is that? That's better. That's part of him comforting you. If what is discomforting is actually, yes, what's out there, but also deeply what's inside of you, you want that exposed. We want that revealed. So he works as a revealer, as a convictor. And I would tell you we are to embrace that and as a comforter, as a helper, and as an advocate, because he has the weight, right? Because he's weighty. So follow me. We're teaching, but this is very, very relevant teaching. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this about the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom freedom. The reality is when we sit in the midst of our internal chaos of our own sin, we're in bondage. So many of us feel like we live in a life in which we're in bondage when the reality that we're massively in anxiety and we need counsel, what we're seeking is freedom. When we're looking for outside help, we're seeking to be liberated, freed from the bondage of whatever kind it is. Where the spirit is, there's freedom. That's what this passage is saying. Where God the Spirit is, there is freedom. And this is why we say, come Holy Spirit, bring about freedom. But he calls the Spirit, the reason there's freedom there, the reason he's 
powerful enough to break the bonds of oppression of whatever kind. The oppressive nature of sin that sits inside of you and is outside of you is because he's the Lord. That word Lord, kairios, means supreme authority. You know what supreme means? Above all the rest. He's supreme authority. Now this is very interesting because the same name is attributed to Jesus. There's this great logic in Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, God is speaking about Jesus, who was in the very nature God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of becoming a servant. The perfect picture of Jesus' service to us was his taking sin, in which he knew nothing about, upon himself, so that we might be liberated. The way Paul says has become the righteousness of God. Because he took on the form of a servant, now Paul, sa Paul says in Philippians, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Now what's that name? What's the name that's above every other name? Okay, most people are going to say Jesus, and you're not entirely wrong, but Jesus was a name given to them. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It kind of has Joshua in the background, which is Yeshua, the idea of God saves. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But that's actually not the name here Paul speaks of. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, given the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus. So the language of this is actually that Jesus has a name. And it's bigger than Jesus. And it's at this name, look at this, at this name that every knee should bow. There's a history in many Christian traditions where when you walk into a service of worship because the weight of God is there, you genuflect, you bow. Right? John Calvin says the whole world is the theater of God. And when a moment finally comes, in the end, every knee will bow. Not every knee that's ever been in church, not every knee that's ever walked an aisle, every knee, right? whether they've just been in the marketplace or they've been in a mosque, whether they've been in a synagogue or whether they've been in a government, the moment of the weight of God when it's revealed, when God highly exalts Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his name. What's the name of Jesus? Lord. Supreme authority. That's what it means. The name that's above every name is the name of Lord. And Jesus is Lord, and every tongue will confess it, and every knee will bow to him because he's the weightiest. And in his weight, he brings revelation. He reveals what's really in our hearts. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he brings weight that stabilizes because he's God. There's no greater way to stabilize something than on something that's heavy in weight, and that weightiness, like a good father that wraps us up in a powerful, loving hug, brings about comfort and consolation. And so when you go back to Paul and he now says, the Lord, in 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the Spirit. He's attributing lordship not just to Jesus, but to the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we ask, we seek and we knock. There's this moment when um, Jesus' disciples are asking him how to pray. They're like, will you teach us to pray because things are really dark. 
right? This is the, the platform in which God comes is that things are really dark and things are really confusing and people need to know the way and the truth and the life. And they're like, teach us to pray. And they're thinking about their own situation, the situations they find themselves in. And they're asking, Lord, help us to pray. And he says, okay, I'll help you to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's prayer. That's this prayer of Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Many of you know that um, prayer. But in the midst of him praying this prayer in Luke chapter 11, he makes this statement. He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Now, at this moment where you realize the weight of God, and the weight of God being connected to this desire for us to have an advocate, this realization that we individually and as our families and as our country and as our world need outside help, we're like, ask. The reason we ask is because he's wise enough. He knows all things. He's weighty enough. He has all power. He's everywhere present. We ask. So the question that this begs is Jesus' teaching. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Is Here's the question he's asking. What are you asking for? And if you're not asking, why are you not asking? And the reality in simple terms would be if you're not asking God for things, there's a reality that you really trust yourself. And I think Jesus would say, but I'm going to say, like, how's that going for you? <laughs> that trust in yourself thing. Have you figured out all those things? Like, have you established ultimate comfort and peace and maximum amounts of wisdom? And what's related to that is ultimately you don't trust God. And many of us get really scared to ask God for things. Like I hear Christians say this all the time, like, you know, I, I, I prayed for patience and then God did all the stuff I didn't want him to do to try to teach me patience. And we get to this point like where we don't want to ask, which is ultimately like we're questioning the goodness of God. But what if God's so committed to your peace at a much deeper level than your momentary circumstances peace? What if he wants to counsel you way deeper than just wisdom in the next decision? And he says, I want to give you wisdom in that but I want to counsel you into things much deeper than that. So his question to you is, what are you asking right now? None of it's stupid. He's telling, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek. What are you seeking? Why aren't you seeking? What do you want to go hard after? Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He goes on as he's teaching them how to pray. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, they will find. So he's inviting us. Ask, seek, knock. Bring your real world situations. Bring the anxiety in your gut. Bring your darkness. Bring your depression. Expose it to the light of God. He's saying do that. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be open. And you're like, but I'm scared. Like, what if he doesn't do it? What if he does bad things? What will that ultimately happen? And so Jesus goes, okay, what father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I have this in my house all the time. Like some of my kids really like hard-boiled eggs. And if they were like, hey, dad, can I have an egg? And I went outside because my house has scorpions and I pulled up a scorpion. I'm like, yeah, here, wham, like threw it at him. Who would do that? Right? Like I'm sure there's some really sick people, but generally speaking, no father does that. And he's like, why are you so scared to ask? You want to ask for good things? Ask. If he asks for an egg, we'll give him a sweet. If you then who are evil, I love this about Jesus because it's like these moments where you're like, the goodness of God, this is good. And he's like, you're like, I don't even do that. And he's like, I know. Bam. 
and you're evil, <laughs> right? So what are you scared about? We just talked about this. God's good. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Now, what's amazing is in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, how much more will the God you're asking give good gifts to his children? But here, Luke says, how much more, which is what Jesus said, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So folks, even if you're sitting right now and you're like, I don't even know what to ask, ask for the Spirit who prays on your behalf in groanings that are too deep for words. Ask for the Holy Spirit who will take you deeper into why you don't even know what to ask for. Ask for the Holy Spirit who will reveal in his weight, move in you to go, your priorities are all out of whack, which is why you're destabilized, which is why you're insecure. Go to the Holy Spirit when you're in the midst of despondency and life has handed you an awful lot. Go to him, ask for the Holy Spirit because he will bring help, he will bring comfort, he will bring constellation. Folks, God is with us. And he is with us in the power, the weight of his Holy Spirit. We just have to invite him. We have to ask, seek, and knock. Let's do that. Father, we pray um, right now God, we ask you that you would make us an asking people. God, I, may, I pray that you'd make us a people who seek. God, a people who don't just lightly knock, but relentlessly knock. And God, we're going to you because you're the holder of all wisdom. You're the only one who saves. You're the only one weighty enough to really help. You're the only one, God, that we can trust enough to expose us for who we really are and not feel like we're in danger. But God, that you lead us into abundant life. So God, I pray right now, I pray for the marriages in this room that are in turmoil. God, I pray for the spouses that don't even like each other, let alone want to be married. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring about restoration and reconciliation. God, I pray for the midst of the relationships and job experiences and even in the homes where people are lying. God, bring about truth. God, give us your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those who are massively, massively insecure. God, bring stabilization. I pray for those who are hurting that you would bring comfort. God, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would move in ways only he can move into situations that only you know. God, do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.